Well, welcome to today's CIT for Business podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Todd, Nate, and Ashley to discuss zero trust and how to implement it. Let's start off with you guys both introducing yourselves and answering the question, coffee or no coffee? And regardless of the answer, what's your go-to drink right now? Yeah, my name's Nate. I'm our security director here at CIT. Um, In terms of favorite drink, coffee, absolutely. Just last night, I bought some, uh, not a sponsor, but Deathwish Coffee, world's strongest coffee. So uh, all amped up and ready for the podcast. Um, I'm Ashley. Um, I'm a cybersecurity analyst. Definitely coffee all the way. Um, Too much probably some days. Um, Right now, iced coffee is my jam because it's really warm outside. Throw a little milk in there and we're good to go. Uh, And I am Todd Sorg. I am CIT's Chief Operations Officer, and I'm also their CISO. I am definitely a coffee guy. At the moment, my go-to is water, uh, but if it's morning time, absolutely, it's a coffee. So uh, thanks for the intro. I will kick us off with just going through this. As, As was mentioned at the beginning, we're talking today about zero trust. Um, if you're paying any kind of attention to what's going on in the world, you're hearing zero trust come up pretty regularly. It is kind of a buzz term. What does it mean? That's the kind of stuff we're going to get into today. We're going to try and give you a rough outline of what is it, what does it mean, is it more than buzz, and how do you go about doing it if your organization should even consider it. So those are kind of the high-level items that are going on with it. Um, One of the reasons why we feel it's important is because the world has changed. And and if you've ever listened to us speak before, we've kind of talked about that over the last several years. Threats from cybersecurity attacks have gone up significantly um, to the point where even it came up from the executive order that you should start looking at adopting the zero trust model. So that's the talk today. I will turn it over, but basically the very first question we're going to start out with is what does zero trust mean? And kind of expanding on that, that what is it? Nate, you want to start us off? Yeah, I guess I'm going to hold the the suspense just a little bit of what does it mean? And I don't do that to um, just kind of punish everyone that's listening here, but I think there is a really, really important uh, backstory that we need to tell a little bit and why is it even a thing today? Um, as Todd mentioned, the, the world has constantly changed. Uh, the markets have changed. Security has changed, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'll keep this really brief. Uh, but historically, you know, think back to even mainframes, all this kind of stuff is you had almost that castle mentality where everything within the corporate building is safe. Um, you know, so this is Again, even going back to castles, right? You have your moats, you have your brick walls, you have your archers, that kind of stuff. As soon as you're in, it's game over. Um, so you think the hard exterior, soft and gooey interior, uh, everything seems to be unprotected for the most part. Um, businesses did the same thing, right? Is restricted everything outside of the office. Um, you had to be inside of the office. Um, and we all know that that has started to shift over the years. Um, one of the main things was laptops and personal phones and that kind of stuff. So uh, kind of bring your own device, BYOD policies. It started to be that initial breakdown of that castle mentality. Um, so as you start thinking about this, you know, laptops, well, if a co- company used to only allow Axel or access internally, well, then that's where you started having the things like the VPN connections and everything like that. Um, so how do you protect those uh, applications. 
taking that a little bit further, as the cloud became uh, a new technology, more widely adopted, well, now the applications might not even be hosted within the environment. Uh, and so we started to see a lot of policies being implemented to maybe restrict access just to corporate IPs and then blocking everything else, or uh, maybe a couple different branch locations, or maybe just the United States, that kind of stuff. Um, so as you can see, it's starting to get that hole is being opened up wider and wider and wider. You can't just lock it down to your corporate IP. Um, then the last main shift over the last couple of years has been really the, the COVID pandemic, right? Is now we see that there's a lot of organizations that they gave up their corporate offices. You, you have no public IP to lock things down to. So now you have devices, and employees that may not even be in the same location. They may be working from vacation overseas. We've seen other cases where if someone can work full remote, they even move to a whole new country. So maybe some of those different rules that you had about only accessing to the United States has been degraded over time as well. So now you basically have opened up the entire world. So how the heck do you actually start locking this stuff down? So that's the progression that we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, now, I know we want to get to the question of what is zero trust. I'm going to turn it over to Ashley to talk about what it isn't, because that's also super important before we can start jumping into the uh, the important topic here today. Right, so when we're talking about um, what zero trust is, yeah, first we're going to talk about what zero trust is not. And zero trust is not just one single tool that we're going to go implement and, hey, we're done, we've got zero trust now. Um, like a lot of things in security technology, it's much more of a complicated thing than that. Um, it's not just simply adding MFA to a bunch of your applications and then saying, oh, here's my zero trust. Um, it extends, going to extend just beyond that user and that identity um, to a lot of other contexts, which we'll talk about later. Before we move on, I just kind of wanted to, to circle back just a little bit on we're talking about trust, right? And so this is a little bit of a different concept than things that we've talked about in the past and, and maybe not something that everybody truly understands. Nate covered it by saying historically what trust was, was we were saying if you can access our systems, we trust those that are inside our building to be worthy of connecting to the systems. That's that traditional castle moat scenario that he used. And what we're talking about is things continue to push outside of the traditional walls. That would be your cloud connectivities, people working from home through the pandemic, et cetera. How do I still have the ability to trust an individual connecting to what's the systems that there are supported by a business? And that really is problematic in the world as we continue to see the continuation and the growth and spiking of a cyber attacks throughout the industry. So apologize for interrupting there, but uh, just wanted to make sure that we had a nice, clean, clear, what is it, why are we talking about this in particular? And so now, drum roll, please. What is zero trust? Yeah, this is uh, what everyone came and paid uh, to, to come join us on. Uh, no, the, uh, what is zero trust? It's exactly what it sounds like, ready? Uh, not trusting anything. Uh, there's there's the uh, very anticlimactic um, ex explanation. So essentially, what that's going to look like, and I'm I'm going to give a quick example of what 
the traditional trust model looks like. You know, this is where um, we're not, not even going to talk business on this one. Um, and then we'll talk about what zero trust looks like for the same example. Um, I've heard this one before. I didn't come up with it, but essentially, let's just imagine that someone shows up to your house or asking to use your bathroom just to quick wash their hands, right? So typically you say, yeah, come on in. You let them into your bathroom. While they're in there, they're opening up the medicine cabinet, just taking a look at what you have or don't have. Um, and then after they're uh, in there, hey, maybe there's something uh, that's worth taking as well. So they just quick take that, pocket that. Um, and then after they're sitting there washing their hands, they dry them and they notice that there's some mud on their shoes. Well, hey, let's just quick wipe the mud off as well and uh, ruin your decorative towel. Um, and then once they leave, you notice that, well, the medicine cabinet has been uh, gone through. You have a couple things missing. And then also your decorative towel that uh, you, you received is also ruined at that point. Um, that's a traditional trust model. Um, taking that to the actual real world, then uh, we can say the threat actor comes into your environment. They go take a look at what files you have or emails you have, whether it's uh, some type of system intrusion or a business email compromise. Maybe they do some data exfiltration or take data outside of the network. And then they, on their way out, they have all the info. Great, let's just deploy ransomware and trying to get a little extra money and kind of ruin your, your applications or systems out there. Taking that a little bit uh, further than to what the zero trust model looks like, um, same example, we're going to use the whole washing the hands bathroom. Uh, someone shows up to your house, then they want to use your bathroom. You say, yep, come in. There's a door that's labeled sink. That's that's it. That's the only thing that's in there. Uh, they go inside. There's only a sink and a soap, uh, nothing else. They walk in, they wash their hands while they look around. There's no towel in there. So they walk out with all wet hands saying, do you have a towel that I can use? Sure. Here's the towel. Uh, you go to linen closet, you know, it was all locked up and everything. You go hand that to them. They wash their hands. As soon as they're done washing their hands, you take it away from them. And they have no time to try and clean off the mud on their shoes or anything like that. Right. Taking that to the real world, then um, every single action in that in interaction was restricted to only the items necessary to do the job at hand and there was no extra permissions being granted along the way and access was immediately revoked when the task was completed um so it, i know that there's people listening to this right off the bat that say wow that sounds like it's really going to slow down our employees and that's going to be a major task at hand to implement um short answer is yes it does impact uh we'll get into this a little bit further um we're going to talk about culture change and that kind of stuff, but uh, there are tools out there that help minimize a lot of this, offer the enhanced security while minimizing user impact. But yes, zero trust is not something that is as convenient for the most part as the traditional trusted model. So um, I'll turn it over to, I think, Ashley here and just let her go a little more into the technical aspects of that now that we have a an idea of what that zero trust model looks like. All right. So like Nate was saying, 
zero trust means not trusting anything. The, the name of it actually comes from the phrase never trust, always verify. So um, in that sense, we're not trusting anything. We're assuming from the start that your organization has been compromised. That's default number one. So um, zero trust generally is very identity centric. Um, one of the big aspects of zero trust generally is um, a unified identity and access management um, process. Um, and then from there, um, having access policies that are based on more of a holistic approach. So taking a look at multiple different contexts, different attributes, signals, information that's coming in um, about not just the um, the identities, but also from um, information coming from devices, from applications, um, um, even threat intelligence information, um, behavioral information about the identity, uh, things like that. Um, so we're, we're, we're looking at things from a holistic approach, um, taking multiple contexts together and then analyzing that information um, and processing that through a policy so then we can take automated uh, action based on that information. And then combining that with sort of like a risk assessment um, mainframe where we're uh, pulling in um, you know, like additional information like threat intelligence, um, anomalous behavior, um, various different information, um, and, and combining that with that context-based uh, information, and then again, taking that um, automated um, steps um, depending on um, that information. So uh, requiring a user to authenticate in a certain fashion, um, uh, if there are certain context or risk-based information that's being, um, being pulled in. Um, and then, Rather than assuming, you know, once a user authenticates that, then that session is trusted, we're going to continually um, assess that information. So rather than saying, okay, that session is valid, the user authenticated, and it's that session is going to remain valid until it expires, we're going to continue to assess information, risk-based information, context information about that authentication, um, uh, connection about that session, about that authorization, um, things like that, so that if something were to change, we can take automated steps to say, hey, this is no longer low risk like it was when the user authenticated. This is now high risk because this thing happened. We can now say uh, we're going to require the user to re-authenticate. Um, we're going to disconnect the user, uh, things like that. Um, so when we're talking about um, context-based access, um, some of the things that um, we're gonna we're um, gonna look at is uh, device context, um, application context, data context, uh, network context, um, and location context. So, you know, in terms of device context, is the device managed? Um, does the device have malware installed on it? Um, doing that continuous assessment, um, both at the time of authentication and then ongoing after that, um, so that um, we can continue to sort of monitor that 
session and make sure that um, users are or those sessions continue to be legitimate and low risk. Um, that is sort of like the general idea of zero trust. Obviously, there's various different ways that that can be implemented. There's um, different focus points that different frameworks um, tend to gravitate toward depending on your organization. Um, so various different ways it can be implemented. One of the major, I guess, tenants of um, zero trust is, as I said, unified identity and access management. That is um, pretty core to that, um, just because it provides a way to then um, push out those policies in a unified manner. So we're not having to deal with multiple um, identities for one user. So kind of just asking so the audience really understands this a little bit better. You talked a lot about identity access. You talked a lot about um, the context of users and whatnot. Is it safe to say this is kind of a starting point for most organizations that identity and access manage is really where most people need to start going? If I had my ducks in a row, where would I start? Is that the place that would typically do that? Yes. Yep. Also, kind of a follow-up. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I'll let you expand on it in just a second. Um, and then part two is, I know we talked about it at the very beginning of what it's not. You said there's not, it's not a single tool. It's not a single objective. But are there tools out there that help people achieve the identity access the way that you laid it out? Are there things that you could potentially do consumer off the shelf? Or is it something that's going to be something that's built by organizations as they continue to go down the journey of zero trust? I'll, I'll uh, let Ashley finish that first thought that uh, you yeah, interrupted her on, but <laughs> then I can maybe talk about some of the different products or off-the-shelf solutions. Um, yes, there are solutions, but yeah, Ashley, uh, feel free to keep expanding on that a little bit. Sure. Um, so I say most organizations today are somewhere between um, completely fragmented identity where they have identities, separate identities for everything. There's nothing is unified and completely unified. Because obviously it's going to be dependent on what solutions that you're using. Some applications don't give you the, don't have the ability um, to federate an identity to, you know, um, don't provide SAML, SSO capabilities, things like that. So, um, most organizations are going to be somewhere in the middle there, um, depending on um, what applications or even um, directory sources that they're using. So somebody might be using Azure um, to provide some type of federated identity to other um, applications. Um, so. Yeah, and then uh, for the which solutions do you even start with? Um, the biggest thing that I wanted to quick call out on that one is identity and access management. And we can, maybe this is a whole different other topic about identity and access management, but identity and access management does not equate to multi-factor. Uh, multi-factor authentication is one component of that. There's a lot of different components to identity and access management, but one of them is the directory sourcing, where your users coming from, maybe that's a HR application, payroll software, on-prem Active Directory, 
Um, and then there's automation built behind it, workflows, device contacts, all this kind of stuff that we're talking about today. Um, some of the main vendors out there, um, Okta, SailPoint, um, you can go into some of the other ones. Uh, I mean, Azure, like Ashley mentioned, they're implementing some of that as well. There's some that are offering more bells and whistles than all the others. You know, you will pay for them as well. However, um, I, it, it's just really important to note that it is not multi-factor. Um, it goes well beyond that. So. Cool. I, um, I, just to keep the audience going and where we're, we're heading with this, when we put this together, I think we thought we we didn't have nearly as much content as we do. But as we're walking through this, I think it's becoming pretty apparent that that we've got a ton of things that we still want to talk about. It is a very complicated process and solution. So um, we'll try to kind of move this along a little bit, but most likely we're probably going to do a, a, a part two, if you will, and we'll dig into the, the weeds on how do you go about this. But if we were to kind of keep moving down this process of zero trust, are there ways to kind of help generalize and visualize what the what the steps are if you were on your journey to going from wherever you are today in your traditional castle moat methodology to moving towards zero trust? I feel it's safe to say that as you're going through this process, nobody anticipates that you would do this in a single bite or if you do this in a couple of weeks or months, this would be something that will take quite a while to go on there and with most things security, do you ever feel like you've reached your destination? Probably not because organizations and technology and attack types and everything else keeps evolving to kind of keep up with the pace of technology and the and the, the good guys, if you will. Uh, but just to kind of go on to the next step, um, I, I think Ashley, maybe we'll, we'll keep going with you for just a little bit here. But um, if you were to kind of summarize, what does that path typically look like? Is there a structure or a foundation or a model that organizations would typically follow to help them on their path to zero trust? Um, I mean, there's definitely um, some frameworks out there that you can um, base that process on. Um, as I was saying, I think the unified identity and access management is kind of where you're going to have to start out. Um, and then from there, um, kind of, you know, building up some of that context based access, um, some of that automation, so automatic provisioning, deprovisioning, things like that. And then um, going full on into more of that risk based analysis. Um, so starting out with unified um, identity access management and moving more to that automation orchestration um, um, aspect of it. Um, definitely one of those things where you're going to need um, executive buy-in. It's not going to be something that the IDT department by themselves is going to be able to just go and do on their own. Um, especially if I mean, even just doing identity and access management in a unified way that's going to change user experience. It's going to make it more consistent, but it's still a change for users. And um, if you're implementing MFA, you know, that process can be um, challenging for users to learn. Um, and then just in terms of how you go about doing that context based uh, access and what that looks like for users. Um, and how do you want to set those policies up if you want to make it more frictionless? Um, you know, doing stuff like device trust that when a user authenticates 
from a device that's trusted from a particular corporate network where th that login is considered low risk, we could do something like, you know, passwordless um, authentication just using something like MFA. So kind of, um, you know, implementing that process and um, demonstrating, showing users how that is going to work and making sure that, you know, everyone's on board um, uh, with that. Um, and, you know, obviously finding solutions that work well for the organizations and um, what your particular needs are. Um, and in terms of how those solutions sort of integrate together, because um, a lot of times that's key. It's, you know, where you can pull that information from, um, that risk-based information, that context-based information, um, making sure that we can um, holistically uh, look at that information and, and, and uh, um, apply policies based on that inf information in a unified way. Um, so it's definitely uh, a process and going to be sort of specific to the organization and what you, um, what um, your requirements are, what applications that you're utilizing, um, and what solutions um, work best for you. Perfect. Thanks, Ashley. Um, yeah, so Ashley was absolutely sitting there speaking to the IT admins out there that are going to help start implementing some of this stuff. Um, I, I just wanted to quick bring this to you, just in case there are business leaders listening to this as well. You know, just doing a quick recap on some of that uh, and kind of higher level project notes, I would say, uh, would be something like, again, executive teams, you have to have the buy-in on this. If it's not being led from you, it will not happen um, because business processes are going to change. Employee efficiencies are going to change. Uh, there is uh, entire new either procedures you have to stop doing or ones that you have to start doing. Um, so if, again, this is going to be a three to five year plan for many organizations. CIT has been having these discussions well even before zero trust was even a term that was being floated around this is the direction that we've been moving towards and it's entire systems that are being ripped out and replaced uh, in our environment core systems not just you know add this one or two ancillary applications so um so starting with you guys then going from there is identifying the solutions to actually help you do this long-term plan not just slapping a solution hope that it works um, and then Ashley, she said, starting with the identity and access management component, then there's even whole device com management components. So if you're taking a look at things like SCC, SCCM, JAMF, Endpoint Manager, all those different device context tools uh, to actually manage and you know configure, you need that as well. That's a major project that might last a year or two. Um, so every one of those though, requires executive buy-in and executive engagement along the way so um so just kind of moving us along and getting close to wrapping this up for today's um a podcast you mentioned there's a lot of pain a decent amount of friction long timelines possibly fairly high expenditures why do companies want to do this what's the benefit to do it if if, if it was a simple question of why should I care? Why should I do it? Why does my organization need zero trust? 
Yeah, the two things that really come to mind, maybe three, is IT, and this is going back to the whole introduction of how we even got here in the first place, is IT, everything is interconnected these days. You have devices coming from new locations, employees coming from new locations, permissions are constantly changing. Um, so for example, what if someone went from the administration department to the HR department to the finance department? Wildly different permissions there. Um, again, least privilege uh, is a whole concept there. So as everything is shifting rapidly, zero trust helps control all those unknowns or constant changes. Um, and then if you take a look at any of the major security reports that have come out in the last year or two, system intrusion is one of the major um, attack vectors these days. And then same with business email compromise. So you have the two major spikes of both identities and the systems are um, common attack methods. So that impacts the security of your different files or systems. Someone has malware, maybe you trusted that device, they can get in. Maybe you trusted the user, but they gave up their credentials or um, we've seen it where they allow the multi-factor through anyways. That user had full rights, system is compromised. Um, really, if I could put one overarching goal of this though, is minimize impact. Ashley called this out right at the beginning is assume compromise at any point. So the goal is to say, rather than saying, a security incident has happened, what is compromised and doing the analysis on that, it's saying we are going to hopefully restrict it to a single file a single user um, because that is going to be significantly less money than the sum of all these different tools or processes. The cost of an incident is going to far exceed that. So um, uh, and uh, there's a lot less headaches uh, that you don't have to deal with when dealing with a security incident. Yeah. So yeah, just just wrapping it up for today. Um, thank you, Ashley and Nate, for for running through a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of content. I feel like there's still a lot more. Uh, maybe we'll even do one on uh, I am as well. Uh, just kind of wrapping this up, as I, I had kind of mentioned, you know, it seems like this is new and it's getting very buzzy. The reality is, zero trust has been around for a really long time. Um, somebody even coined the phrase back in 1994, so it's been around for a very, very long time. Google is probably one of the most prevalent organizations that adopted zero trust that everybody knows and hears about. They started that in 20, uh, 2009, so it's been around for a long time. It is not new, um, but it is kind of a new methodology for a lot of organizations. It felt like it was really a, a ways out there, but I think it's getting to a point where Unfortunately, the world's forcing our hand. We kind of need to start thinking about how do we do a better job of protecting ourselves and our customers. And so that's where this conversation started today. And, and that's where we'll wrap it up for today. And um, I'll let uh, Tara or Kelsey do our outro. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Todd. I'm about to just pass the baton over to you and be like, you can just lead these from now on because that'll be fabulous. <laughs> um, but thank you, Todd. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Nate. That was great. And as Todd mentioned earlier, we were like, yeah, we'll get through all this content in 30 minutes. Lies, we tell ourselves. So we're going to have a part two of all of the solutions, right? more resources kind of laid the groundwork we're going to have part two so keep an eye out for that one we're going to publish that probably in a couple weeks here so keep an eye out in the meantime if you have questions for these three that you'd like to hear answered in part two please head out to our website it's cit-net.com backslash podcast or you can shoot us an email info at cit-net.com so know that we'll always be looking for 
for those, any questions, any feedback, we'd love to hear it. And we will look forward to chatting with everybody soon.